You can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 31 as we continue to walk through Genesis this morning. For those of you who came in after we got started, I did want to mention with the weather, uh, we are canceling tonight's activities. And so I want to make sure you you knew that as well. Uh, We'll be having our members meeting rather than tonight, next Lord's Day. We'll have it next Sunday night and combine that together with an opportunity to hear about our mission trips. But for today, we are in Genesis 31. And as a reminder to you of where we are Uh, This is a point where we now see Jacob responding to God and returning to the land of his father. If you've been following with us through Genesis, you know that that, that God has made a promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 of an offspring that would come that would defeat the enemy. And we've been following that offspring throughout Genesis. We, We know ultimately that that's a promise that points towards Jesus. But along the way, God uses these families, specifically now the family of Abraham. Uh, He has worked in Abraham's life and his son Isaac's life and now in Isaac's son Jacob's life. And we've been learning over and over and over again as we've looked at these men in the Scripture that as much as we lack faith, as much as we are faithless, God is always faithful. Despite our attempts to be covenant breakers and to sin constantly, God is the covenant keeper. And in that, we've been seeing this, this relationship and, and the ways God relates to His people. And in relating to them, what we're going to look at today is, is how then do God's people know God's will? That's a question we ask often. How, how do we know what God's will is? Well, we're going to look at that today, specifically in the context of Genesis 31. So if you would, out of reverence for God's Word, if you'd stand together... And let me read for us these first 21 verses of Genesis 31. This is God's inspired word. And so let's receive it as such. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his fox was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my fathers has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. That God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. And the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. 
All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by telling him that not telling him what he intended that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. You would pray with me. Father, we pray that you would use this word in our lives, that you would help us to understand it, that you would teach us the gospel through it, that we might live for your glory. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I wonder how how many of you remember the the little novelty toy, the Magic 8-Ball? Did any of y'all ever have a Magic 8-Ball? If you remember it, it was basically a, a little toy... Uh, in the shape of a eight ball, great naming there, a little bit bigger than an eight ball, and it had a little window on it. And inside that eight ball, there was a, a, a die that had 20 different sides to it. And when you'd shake that eight ball, one of these sides would appear, and that would give you an answer. And so that there were about 20 variations in there. Uh, there were yes responses, like it is certain and most likely and yes, there were no responses like don't count on it and outlook, outlook not so good. And then there were ask later responses, ambiguous ones that said things like reply hazy, try again, or concentrate and ask again. It's just kind of a silly little toy, but it's interesting when you look at how that toy came to be. That toy was invented in the 1950s by a man named Albert Carter, whose mother was a clairvoyant. Uh, she would tell people their future and, and she would have had this device uh, called a spirit writing device and it was basically a, a chalkboard in a box that she said could determine people's future just by shaking it and looking at how the chalk fell on the board. And her son was so intrigued by this, by the powers he felt she had, that he invented this device. A device that originally was called the Miracle Home Fortune Teller. It then went on to get marketed and came through various forms and it ended up being the Magic 8-Ball. And it's a silly little toy, but it's a silly little toy that about a million of them are sold every year. Now, I I doubt very seriously that many of us, when we want to know a decision in life, when we want to know a direction to take, I I doubt that we pick up the Magic 8-Ball and shake it and look for the answer. And yet, I think as... Christians, there are some things we do that are equally silly or equally superstitious. Uh, We all have our little ways of trying to determine what we're supposed to do. And so, uh, sometimes we'll look for signs. Sometimes we'll make up signs. Uh, Sometimes we'll look for whatever we can find to affirm what it is we really want to do in the first place. Was that okay? Well... I think the Scripture gives us a better way. I think the Scripture points us in a different direction. And I think the Scripture helps us to see that there is a biblical way we can go about answering the question 
of what should I do, which direction should I take, God, what is your will for me? And that's something that I want to look at today as we come to this point in Jacob's life, in Jacob's journey where God is revealing his way to Jacob. Because I think one of the things that plagues the church greatly is a misunderstanding and even an unbiblical way of going about seeking to find the will of God. And so you'll have, for example, people who, when they want to know God's will, who are believers who know enough to know, well, well, I should look to God's Word to find the answer. But the way they'll look to God's Word to find the answer is kind of like this. Okay. He did all the things that Joash, his father, had done. I just flipped straight to that. So apparently God wants me to do what my father Joash has done. Was that a problem? Well, it is. My father's name's not Joash. And if you read this in its context in 2 Kings, I'm probably not going to want to do the things he did. But see, that's the way we go about determining the will of God. I remember when I was in college, uh, one of Sandy's good friends was trying to process through uh, what she should do, and she was thinking about switching colleges. And so she did the very thing I just did. She, she looked at the Scripture and she kind of flipped to a passage. And the very passage she came to mentioned cedars. Well, that really struck her. Because one of the things she was considering was a school called Cedarville. And so she felt God was clearly telling her that she should go to Cedarville. Is that the way that God uses His Word to help us see His will? I don't think it is. I also think that, that, that we might not do it that way, but a lot of times what we'll do is we'll essentially look for some other kind of sign or some kind of feeling. And I'll hear people as a pastor all the time tell me, oh, I just know the Lord was leading me to do this. Well, how do you know? And they'll have an elaborate story that basically comes down to it just felt good. Well, friends, I feel good after I ate a good steak. <laughs> but I don't know that a good steak's going to help me figure out the will of God. I think God's Word helps us to determine His will. And I hope that when we look through this passage now, that you will have a deeper and better understanding of how it is God's Word is very different than a magic eight ball. And how it is God uses His Word and His people and His church to help us understand His will. I think the first thing you see as you look to this issue and as we look to this text is the first point I've put in your notes there. That God's will is not a mystery to be solved. And so often we, we think of God's will as it's this, this mysterious thing. And that if I just have the right detective tools, I'll figure it out. I've heard it even described this way. It's, it's as if you're, you're peering out over a, a field and that field has all these rocks in it. And you've got to go around and pick up every one of those rocks as if you're looking for the will of God until you find the right rock that reveals what it is you're to do. Now friend, I don't think that that's what the Scripture tells us. In fact, I think the Scripture shows us something very different, that, that God's will is not a mystery that we need to solve, that God's will is something He reveals to us, and He does it in specific ways. Notice in the text what is taking place here. Just in these first three verses, how it is that God reveals His will to Jacob. The very first verse. Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. I think in this very first verse, we see an important 
means, an important way to go about seeking the will of God. And that way is this. We are to seek and listen to wise counsel. Now, now we don't know exactly how Jacob got this information, but the context here in the language isn't that Jacob is sitting somewhere eavesdropping on the sons of Laban. The context here is that people are talking. Uh, Laban's sons are talking, and people are hearing what they're saying, and they're coming back to Jacob, and they're saying, Jacob, you need to understand some things. You need to understand that Laban's sons aren't real happy with you right now. You need to understand that that Laban's sons are, are upset at you, and perhaps in this conversation they went on to talk about maybe threats that Laban's sons were issuing against Jacob. Whatever the case, what the Scripture indicates here, I believe, is that Jacob is receiving some wise counsel. And friend, that is very important when it comes to seeking and to understanding the will of God. The second thing we see here is that Jacob is considering his circumstances. Notice in the second verse, Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Now, now Jacob and Laban's relationship had been somewhat tumultuous. We, we have seen this in the Scripture. There was, there, there, there was not the, the best of friends between them. And yet, we, we see that Laban shows great favor to Jacob because God is blessing Laban through Jacob. And so we saw last week, Jacob wants to leave. Laban doesn't want him to leave. And so he makes another deal with him. And he, he gives him opportunity to stay. And so what was then 14 years today, now this is about probably six more years later. So in these 60 years, on top of the 14 years, Jacob's still there. And he's got favor in Laban's eyes. But something's changing. And so not only is he hearing counsel from other people, he, he is stopping and he's considering his circumstances. He is, he is looking around and going, okay, what, what's taking place here? Laban's sons, I'm being told, are upset with me. And you know, now as I look at it, Laban himself, I feel like I've lost favor in his eyes. And then he goes from looking at that counsel in those circumstances to what I think is foundational in verse 3 here. Jacob hears a word from the Lord. The Lord specifically says to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now I realize most of us would love for God's will to be that clear for us, wouldn't we? Yeah, I can get wise counsel and I can look at my circumstances, but if God just said it to me, if He just would say, you know, Richard, this is what you need to do. But He doesn't do it exactly like that. And yet, He does speak to us. You know, I think God uses these, these same means in our lives today. You take wise counsel, for example. There is great benefit. There is continual affirmation in the scripture that we are to seek wise counsel and yet think about the counsel so often we seek oftentimes we have predetermined what it is we want to do and so we seek to gather around us those which are probably going to tell us to go in that direction well we kind of fix the odds don't we maybe it's a, a temptation to go into greater debt to make a purchase We usually don't go to the frugal person to ask them about that. We usually go to the person who's got more debt than we do. (laughs) And we ask them, and what are they going to say? Yeah, go ahead. Or we look for that person who, when you really think about it, they never really tell us no, do they? (laughs) 
And so we gather for ourselves those people who are going to say, oh yeah, well, if that's what you want, you should do it. Well, if that's how you feel, that's what you should do. And then we say, well, you know, I did seek wise counsel. Well, so often we're really not seeking wise counsel. What we need to seek instead are people who genuinely walk with the Lord. Uh, People who aren't afraid to tell us no. In fact, finding people who have told us no a few times already is not such a bad thing. Uh, People who seem to exercise wisdom in their own life, and God has blessed that wisdom. People who, when we go and ask them for advice, who will say things like, you know what, let me look at what the Scripture says, and let me pray for you. That's the kind of counsel we need to seek. We need wise counsel just as Jacob did. We need to consider our circumstances as well. The Scripture tells us repeatedly that that God has given us, among many other things, a a sound mind. Uh, We might say it today, we've got common sense. The, the, The Spirit of God helps us to discern things. But so often, we don't even stop to consider things. When it comes to the question of what should I do, we're so quick just to act and not think. And certainly not stop and consider. Here we see Jacob, I think, stopping and observing and considering. And I think that's a great illustration, a great principle for us as well. It's to stop and in addition to seeking counsel, just stop and observe. As you're thinking, what should I do? Well, what what does the Lord seem to be doing around me? And then in that process, we need to do as well what Jacob does here. We need to hear from God. Now again, it'd be a lot easier if we had that little red bat phone, wouldn't it? You know, Lord, I want to know. And, okay, now I know, and we hang it up. Do you know, friend, we, we have something today that Jacob didn't have. We have the revealed Word of God right here. Right now, we're, we're 31 chapters in, and Jacob, everything that's happened leading up to him. Look, look at what we have here in front of us. We have God's Word which helps us to see God's plan and God's providence and God's will. And I tell you that the more time that you spend in it, the clearer determining His will comes to be. Now, there are times when it speaks absolutely directly to the questions we have. As a college minister, I had so many conversations with students who were in relationships, I'll just say this way, that were unhealthy, that that were immoral. And I'd have guys sit down with me and they'd say, Richard, I'm just trying to figure out what to do. And I'd say, what do you mean? And so they start describing things and they start to describe that, or indicate at least, that there was sin there of intimacy, that there's immorality there in that area of their relationship. And so time after time, I would pick up God's Word, I'd turn to 1 Corinthians 6.18. You know what 1 Corinthians 6.18 says? It says, flee from sexual immorality. And I'd say, there's what you need to do. (laughs) There's not a gray area there. That, That Greek word, sexual immorality, it means any intimacy outside the context of a man and a wife who are married. And so for you today, for any of you who wonder about this, oh, what's too far, what should I do in this relationship, or I feel like we've messed up, if your relationship is not a man and a woman who are married in that covenant together, and you have an intimate relationship, then the Scripture says, flee. Now think about that. 
The Scripture tells us to resist the devil. <laughs> now, if I was writing that, I would say, flee the devil. <laughs> you see the devil run. The Scripture says resist the devil, but flee sexual immorality. There's great wisdom there. Run away from it. Get away from it as far as you can. That's a clear teaching in the Scripture that reveals the will of God to us. But there are other times when we want to know God's will that the Scripture doesn't directly answer it. You may ask questions like, should, should I go back to school in order to get a different career? Well, you're not going to come to the exact proverb that answers that question. You may find yourself one day sitting there with your family thinking, should I move to Bloomfield, Kentucky to become the senior pastor of Bloomfield Baptist Church? Now, I hope none of you have that question because I've already, God's answered it and brought me here, but... But, you know, when, when Sandy and I were praying about that, we, we didn't flip through and say, okay, Richard, move to Bloomfield, Kentucky, and become the senior pastor of Bloomfield Baptist Church. God did not directly answer that question in His Word. And yet, let me tell you how I believe God does answer those questions in His Word. If you read the Word of God consistently, you will see over and over the providence of God. You will see the big picture. You will see the big plan. You will see how it is God has been moving in the life of creation from Genesis 1 all the way through redemption that comes through Jesus. And when you get that big plan, when you get that big grid in front of you, if you will then, when you come to Scriptures, which specifically tell you sin to flee from and to avoid what you should do to walk in righteousness, if you will obey what the Scripture says... If you will get the big picture, if you will obey God's Word, then I guarantee you it is easier to discern the will of God. But what happens so often is we spend no time reading God's Word and understanding His providence. And so often what happens is we spend very little time seeking to obey that which is very clear. But then we come to these crossroads in life where we want to know God's will. And that's when it becomes difficult because many times we are in a place where we are in sin and rebellious and where we don't understand how it is God has moved since creation. And so then we have a very difficult time determining what it is we should do. But friend, if you will spend time in this Word and recognize His providence, if you will obey His commands, it becomes easier to discern and it is far different <laughs> than treating it like a magic eight ball and flipping pages, and, and trying to find keywords or Bible codes. And what we see is there's no mystery here. In fact, point two in your notes, what I think you find is that God's will is evident throughout His Word. Notice again what happens in this text. Jacob has come to understand the will of God. <laughs> God has told him what to do. He has seen counsel. He has seen his circumstances. So now it's time to do it. But now he's got to figure out the right way to do it. And notice how it is he does it. See, up until this point, we, we've seen a very immature Jacob who doesn't seem to be very, very considered, uh, to be very concerned about what it is God would have him do. He seems to act first and think later. He seems to do those things which please him most. He is very deceptive. He is very cunning. But notice what he does. He calls 
Leah and Rachel out to the field. And in his conversation with them, in his dialogue with him, we begin to see with them, we begin to see a much more mature Jacob. Now here we see him a, a Jacob who rather than talking about himself, talks greatly about God. And talks greatly about what it is God has done. He talks in verse 5 about how God has been with him. He is reminding Rachel and Leah about God's providence and God's call and God's protection. He's saying, listen, God has been with me. And not only that, verse 7, he says, God has protected me. He is laying out for Leah and Rachel this understanding that that God is guiding him this direction and that God can be completely and totally trusted because He's been with him, He's protected him. He even talks in verse 9 about specifically how He's blessed him with livestock. You remember that from last week, how what, what started as just a silly superstition yielded the, the fruit that came from God being at work. Uh, Jacob came up with this elaborate superstitious plan to, to peel sticks and show white stripes on them because in the superstition of his day, that said that the flock would then yield white stripes. We, we joked about that and how even in our day today we have these, these silly uh, uh, pregnancy thoughts, uh, uh, myths about things that can and can't affect your baby and those things. Notice how this has changed for Jacob. He's gone from his silly superstition to now saying to Rachel and to Leah, I didn't have anything to do with this. Uh, it sticks. God did this. And so if Laban said you can have all the spotted ones, they were spotted. And if Laban said you can have all the striped ones, well, they were striped. Because God did it. And he's saying to Rachel and Leah, over and over and over again, look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing. And as if that weren't enough, God has revealed it to him specifically in a dream. <laughs> and he came to Jacob in a dream, and Jacob shares with Rachel and Leah about how God has spoken to him in this dream and how he's, he's blessed him and how he's told him he's going to bless him. And, and in doing this, he, he, he builds this elaborate case for Rachel and for Leah that God is faithful, and that God can be trusted. So why don't you and I trust Him? I mean, in all seriousness, why, why do we struggle so much to be faithful to the One who is faithful to us? I, I think principally the reason we struggle so often is because God doesn't bless our fox this way. It's not so hard really to trust God when things seem to flourish and go so well, but it is very difficult to trust God when it seems that rather than everywhere we turn, He blesses us, that when everywhere we turn, there's greater suffering, there's greater loss. And we ask the question, Lord, are, are You someone I can trust? Are, are You truly faithful? This would be the place where the prosperity preacher would say to you, well, if you just have the faith of Jacob, then you'll have the blessing of Jacob. If you just trust God like Jacob did, well, then God's going to bless you. Well, I won't waste my time this morning with why the prosperity preacher is wrong, but he is. And if you spend any time in this Word, you know enough to know that 
Jacob didn't have great faith. And Jacob didn't have great trust. But God blessed him. And he's blessing us as well. And again, it comes in the form of seeing the big picture. And if you narrow your focus to sheep and goats, you miss the point. But when you widen your focus to, okay, God, big picture time. What are you doing big picture? Jacob is one you've called and, and, and he has gone to this place where now he's a slave and now he's got all these people, he's got this family and now you're leading him to lead his family out of slavery into a promised land. And then you start seeing, wait a second, that, that's big picture stuff. Because that's what God's going to call Moses to do. And he's going to send Moses into a place where his people are in slavery and he's going to have Moses take that people out of slavery towards a promised land. And then the big picture is greater than that. Because the big picture is this, friends. God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to lead us out of our slavery to sin. The burden that we are in to sin. The darkness that so easily engulfs us of sin. And God has sent His Son to lead us out of that sin to the promised land. And if your focus is on, yeah, but I don't have enough spotted goats, then you're missing something. Because the big picture is, friend, as much as you and I may suffer and lose, it is temporary and it is for a moment in light of eternity. And that is the home that God is calling us to. And if you feel uneasy when you wake up in the morning at times, good. Because that means you realize that this is not it. And no amount of goats should make this feel like it. (laughs) And the more you read God's Word, the more evident that becomes. The more you see the big picture, the more that you're reminded, no matter how bad it gets, God is faithful and God can be trusted. But there's a word of caution here that I want to leave us with. Point three. As we spend this time looking at God's Word, as we begin to understand what His will is, we need to be careful that we seek to follow God's will the right way. And what I mean by that is this, that there is a way in which we can be obedient big picture to God's will. We we can get the big picture right. We can be focused on what it is God would have us do. But we can do it the wrong way. And I think you see a picture of that here with Jacob. Jacob, who God has done so much to reveal his will to him. Jacob himself has recounted to his wives, Listen, God has blessed me. God's protected me. He even says to them, He's kept Laban from hurting me. Jacob says, Laban can't hurt me. But then notice what he does. When it comes time to leave, verse 20, Jacob tricked Laban there, me. The old Jacob comes right back out, doesn't he? You see, I think this is a moment where Jacob has an opportunity to stand before Laban and say, listen, I don't need to fear you because I fear God and God is bigger than you. And God's protected me. And God's revealed His will to me. And God, in revealing His will to me, has actually said to me that He's going to be with me. And so I'm not worried about you, Laban. So I'm taking my wives and my kids and my stuff, and we're leaving. 
That's not what Jacob does. Jacob, big picture, does what God's will is. He's to go back. But notice he does it the wrong way. He, he tricks Laban. He waits until Laban has gone away to shear his sheep. In the context of that day, it would have been a great amount of time. He would have been gone. Jacob sees this window of opportunity for another scheme. And so at this point, he loads them all up and he sneaks off. And it's not just him who does things the wrong way. Notice what Rachel does. Verse 19. Laban had gone away to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. <laughs> Just kind of slides that in there for us. Now, there's varying opinions on what this means. Essentially what most would agree is that in their day and in the area that Laban lived in that they would have had these, these false idols, these household gods. They worshipped other gods. We know that. We've seen that in Scripture. And, and these household gods stood to represent a number of things. They, for some, could represent fertility. And so you can already see there where Rachel's temptation may have been, well, my sister still has more kids than me. <laughs> so maybe these household gods will help me. Household gods, some believed, also represented a uh, an inheritance that the, the oldest child would receive the household gods and in receiving them, it was being said that they would receive the inheritance. We've already seen in this text how Rachel and Leah are upset with their father because all this money that he's gaining off of Jacob's uh, prosperity, he should have been putting some of that away for them, for their inheritance, and yet he's not. The Scripture says he squander it. And so maybe Rachel here is thinking, I'm going to get what's due me, what's owed me, if I've got to steal these household gods to get it. Uh, others believe that perhaps these were ways that Laban had used to, uh, to conjure, to, to, to seek dark magic to understand things. There was that reference last week in the text of he learned something through divination. And so for those who think that's what that is, they would say these household gods then represented a way through which he could divinate, he could, he could figure things out. And so Rachel is not wanting him to know where they've gone, so she's taken them away. But whatever the reason, the action's wrong. See, Rachel here has the opportunity to distrust God and Jacob has the opportunity to trust God. And big picture, they're moving the right direction. But they're doing it the wrong way. And friend, that's a word of caution for us because we can do the same. We may not do it through hiding household gods in our camel sack. But we do it in other ways. We bargain with God as if we could bargain with God. We... We come to God and we say, all right, God, I'll do this, but I'm going to do it this way. Or I'll do this as long as you give me this. Or, or our motives and our heart will be completely in the wrong place and we'll try to justify ourselves with God's Word. Well, I did this because God's Word said it. But we go about it the wrong way. There's a reason the Scripture says, speak the truth in love. Because it's possible to speak the truth in a very unloving way. And it's possible to show somebody love but never speak the truth. See, we can follow God's Word in part. But we can get very confused in the process. Are you doing that today? Do you see this Word before you? And as you 
look to it. Are, are you seeking God's will today? Are you seeking your will? Are, are you looking to God's Word like a child's novelty toy? <laughs> and thinking if I just shake it enough, the right result will come out. If you are, then I would ask you to consider stopping and repenting and trusting God, not for more goats and sheep, but for the big picture. And if your eyes have been off the big picture, if they've just been on you, then today is an opportunity to stop and repent and trust and have faith. And friend, know this, this God that I'm asking you to trust It's 100% trustworthy. And this God that I'm asking you to consider placing all your faith in is 100% faithful. And it doesn't matter who they are in your life or what it is in your life, you won't get that guarantee anywhere else. And so I'd ask you to heed that word from God's word, to trust in Him, And if you are trusting, to say to Him, Lord, I trust You. Help me to trust You more. If you would pray with me to that end. Father, we come to You today in Jesus' name. And Lord, I do ask for any here this morning who's struggling with trusting You, Lord, that You would help them to see that You are trustworthy. Lord, if there's any here who's struggling, perhaps even today they came in with that question in their mind, Lord, if I just knew what to do, if I just knew what direction to take. But maybe they've been trying to answer that by a a magic eight ball approach. Maybe they've been asking for a sign or, or they've just been wanting to see some mystery there. Lord, help them, help us all to see. Your, Your providence is clear throughout your word. So much instruction is clear throughout your word. Help us to focus on those things. And as we do, Lord, Give us discernment and direction in every small detail of our lives. That we might be a people who follow you and your word and we do it in that way which brings you the greatest glory. We pray that you would help us to do this, that you would empower us to through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.